Okay, folks, we're in lesson two today. We're going to be launching right into our discussion concerning uh, the letter of James, the epistle of James. And we are looking in particular today at something that all of us can relate to. Uh, it's the issue of trials or difficulties or difficult circumstances or even terrible circumstances. And so we're going to be looking today at what James has to tell us about this issue. It's really the first thing he starts off with in verses 2 through 12 of this first chapter in the letter to James. Now, it only makes sense. He just told us in verse 1, he was writing this letter to the 12 tribes who were scattered abroad. So he's writing it to Jewish Christians who were scattered abroad, probably as the pastor from Jerusalem. He's writing to those believers who basically had to flee from Jerusalem for persecution. And so they're probably, you know, if you've got to uproot and run for your life, life is not going to be easy for you. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be a struggle, and especially if they're facing persecution for their faith. So we're going to take a look at this today and try to glean from it some things that we can apply to our lives, especially as we consider, you know, our whole topic in looking at this letter is really where the rubber meets the road, about living out our faith, Christianity, what does that mean? And so let's look together. Let's look, first of all, he's going to talk about a necessary attitude. We see that in verse 2. And when we read this, you're immediately going to be like, you've got to be kidding me. But look at what he says here. My brethren... Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. First thing we're going to see is, is that we're told to be joyful. So he's writing people who are going through a difficult time. He's writing people who are going through a hard struggle. And he's telling them right off the bat, you need to be joyful. You need to count it all joy. You need to consider it joy. Now, that almost seems ridiculous, especially in light of when he tells us to be joyful. Because notice the second point here. We are to have this attitude when we face trials. Now, how many of you here enjoy going through a rough time? It's like the thing that you want to go through. It's like you can't wait for the next struggle, the next problem, the next bill, the next difficulty at work, the next family problem. You're like looking for the health issues to pop up into your life. How many of you are looking for those kind of things in your life? How many? Anybody raise your hand here. Oh, I notice nobody likes that. Well, that's because we don't. And if you do like that, then I think there's a problem with you. You maybe need to talk to somebody about it because the reality is, is that we try to do everything we can to avoid problems, to Avoid the difficulties that we face, the struggles, the hardships, the pains. And so here's James, who, first of all, let me just remind you, he's writing from a position of difficulty. He's in a place where he is being persecuted for his faith. He's in a difficult circumstances. He's watching others around him, people that he cares for, going through a difficult circumstance. And he's telling us to have this attitude of joy when we face trials, when we go through difficulties, when we go through struggles. And really, to be honest with you, he's pretty generic about it. Here's the next point. James includes all types of trials in his exhortation. He's basically 
It's very generic here. Count it all joy when you face, look at what it says there in verse 2, when you fall into various trials. So what's he talking about? He's basically being very generic. He says, look, you're supposed to count it all joy when you fall into the different types of difficulties that you and I face, the different types of struggles. So it's not like you can have this attitude for one type of trial, but then when it comes to this other type of trial, well, then I'm okay, I don't need to have this attitude. No, he's telling us that we need to be joyful when we go through this struggle. Again, right off the bat, you're kind of wondering, okay, George, all right, listen. I thought this study was about where the rubber meets the road. And I can be very honest with you that in my life, when the rubber meets the road where I'm at, and I'm facing a difficult time, and it is not somewhere where I want to be, it is wrecking havoc on my life, I'm emotionally spent, physically spent, spiritually spent, the last thing I'm thinking, the last thing I want is to feel happy about it, to feel joy. Well, he's going to tell us why we need to here. Look with me in verses 3 to 4. He's going to tell us the reason why we need to have joy is, is because we need to see the circumstance that we're going through. We need to see the struggle that it is. We need to see the trial that it is for its purpose in our life. We're not to basically sit there and say, oh, you know, I'm happy. I'm happy about these struggles. Bring some more. No, you need to recognize that there, it's doing something in your life. And when you recognize what it's doing in your life, you need to have joy about it. So look with me. Look at verse 3 to 4, chapter 1. Here's what he says. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The first thing I want you to see here is he's telling them a reminder. He, he tells us to remember the purpose of trials. So if I'm going to have this attitude of joy, the reason why I need to have this attitude of joy is, is I've got to remember what is the purpose of trials in my life. See, everything that happens in your life just doesn't happen by chance, folks. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you know him, if you've committed your life to him, he has saved you. He saves you for a purpose. You are part of his plan, his ultimate plan. And his ultimate plan, ultimately, we see in the scripture, one of his ultimate plans for you is that you become like the person of Jesus Christ. You become like Christ in your life. So he allows things to happen in your life for his purpose. So trials take place in your life, difficulties, hardships. All of these difficulties happen in your life for a purpose. And he wants us to remember that. Look with me. The next thing he points out there is this is exactly what trials do. Trials test or prove our faith. Trials test or prove our faith. We see that there in verse 3 where he says, knowing that the testing of your faith. See, when we go through these difficulties, these trials, it is a testing of our faith. Now, here's, here's what I want you to understand. You may want to write this down. What you ultimately believe about God, about Jesus, about salvation, and about his work in your life is reflected in how you go through the difficult times. I'll say it again. What you ultimately believe about God, about Jesus, and about his work in your life, your salvation, 
is reflected in how you go through the trials in your life, the difficult circumstances. It's going to be reflected. What you truly believe is going to come out when you are going through a difficult circumstances. This is the testing of your faith. You're really going to be tested to see exactly what it is that you believe and so forth. He goes on and says, so this testing, what, what purpose does this testing have? He says right here, the next point, trials produce patience or perseverance in our life. Trials, difficult circumstances, produce patience or perseverance in your life. You can put it this way. Trials toughen you up. Trials toughen you up. They toughen your faith for the difficulties that you're going to face, the struggles that you're going to face, the things that you're facing and so forth. I remember, I remember when we left the first church. It was not a, a good circumstance. It was a very difficult circumstance, and we had, you know, we had pastored that church, loved the folks, and there were some difficult things that went on there. And so when we left there, an elder pastor in the next town over, who was part of the fellowship of churches that we belonged to, called me and said to come visit him. And so I went to see him after we had resigned that church after four years, and, and he sat down with me, and he, and he said, George, I want you to understand something. You're going to continue to be in ministry. Because at that point, I thought, man, is this it? I'm, is it over with? I'm, am I done? Am I ever going to pastor again? But he looked at me, and he said, George, you're going to continue to be in ministry. And the next time you're a pastor of the church, and you go through difficult circumstances, you're going to be able to look at those circumstances and say, this is nothing I have wrestled with tigers. This is nothing. I have wrestled with tigers. What's he talking about? The difficult experiences that we go through, they produce something in our life. They produce something in our faith. And that is the issue of patience or perseverance in our lives. It produces a toughness for, for our faith, for our, for our walk with Christ. So it, it produces that. Here's the encouragement. And we must allow patience to finish its work in our lives. And so, therefore, I'm going to have joy because, you know, I'm going through this thing. It's producing a toughness in my life. He's testing my faith. And I need to be, I must allow this, this patience that's developing in my life to have its full course to do its work in my life, to produce the, the Christ-like character that I need to have in Jesus. I need to see this happen in my life. And so that's his encouragement. Let it happen. Why? Here's the reason why. So that, this is so that we are mature and fully developed in our lives. Jesus is interested in, Christ is interested in you, not staying the same way you were when you first accepted him as Christ. Christ is interested in you being mature. You see that over and over in the scripture. Of course, when you know Paul's talking to the Corinthians, he says, I wish you guys could eat meat, but you're still drinking your mother's milk. You haven't matured yet. And this is what James is talking about. We go through these difficult circumstances, it toughens it up, and ultimately, folks, what it does is it produces maturity in our lives. We know how to handle these things. Because we put our faith in more and more in Christ. I mean, if you think about it, 
when you think about the difficult circumstances that you're going through now, you know, I can look back on 27 years as a believer in Jesus Christ. When I look back and I think about the things that I'm dealing with now, the struggles that I'm facing now, I don't know how I could handle them when I first came to Christ. I probably would have just said, forget this. I can't handle it. But what happens is, is over 27 years of one difficulty after another, of being patient and of learning to allow that to mature me, I can be where I am today and learn to face the, the struggles that are ahead. And he's telling us, you know, in the reality of this, we need to allow this to what? Produce joy in our lives. Now here's the interesting thing, because he goes on in verse 5 through 8, and he tells us, that there's something you and I need to be aware of. You know, we, we need to have joy in our trials because we recognize what they produce in our life. But we also need to have joy in our life because we recognize that God's there to help us through them. We also need to recognize that God's help, there to help us through them. Now, as, I, as I go through this, I want you to understand something. You may want to write this down. God may help you get through it, but he doesn't promise to remove your problem. God may help you get through your problem, but he doesn't help you by removing it. Because some of us, we'd like God just to take away the problem. I don't want to have to deal with this. But that's not what he wants for our lives. What he'll do is just let us go through it. We just need to call and ask on him to give us some help. So notice with me verse 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Here's the thing. When you go through a difficult circumstance, a difficult problem, Usually most of us don't know how to handle it. Most of us, if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, we lack wisdom to know how to deal with it. And, and, and that's evident from the fact that when we go through a difficult circumstance, we're usually seeking counsel from other people. Hey, how do I deal with this? How do I, how do, I don't know how to deal with I don't know how to cope with this. What do I need to do? What's the next step that I need to take with this situation? We're always seeking counsel from others to help us with it. So here's what James is saying. The first thing he's telling us here is this. Some of us will lack wisdom concerning how to endure trials. That's just reality. You and I, when we face the things that we're facing, it's not like we were trained to understand how to handle every difficult problem that we go through. We're going to lack wisdom, and James is just pointing that out. Some of us will lack wisdom concerning how to endure trials. Now, here's what he's telling us to do, and I think this is amazing. If we lack wisdom, we should ask God... For help. We should ask God for help. In fact, that's the only thing he's going to say here, is if you're lacking wisdom about handling your difficult circumstance in your life, the thing that you need to do is, is that you need to go to God and you need to ask him to help you. Now notice, when you look at the passage, he didn't say, seek out godly counsel from everybody else. Talk to ten people until you hear the answer that you want to hear. In fact, he tells us right off the bat to do the very thing that most of us will not do, if not will do later in the process, and that's to ask God for help. So he tells us right off the bat, if we lack wisdom, we should ask God for help. Now here's what he does. He's going to reflect upon the character of God here. 
So when I go to God, he's going to reflect on the character of God. And notice what he says about the character of God. He says, God will answer because, uh, because he is generous and forgiving. God will answer because he is generous and forgiving. So the first thing we're going to see is, is that he, he, when, when God answers, he's, he's giving away liberally. It's like he's just handing it out. He's just wanting to give things away. But he's also forgiving. That is, he isn't partial. He isn't sitting up there saying, you know what, I know so Joe's over here. He's asking for help. But you know what, I know Joe messed up this week. I don't think I'm going to help him completely. We're just going to hold back on the wisdom part for him this week. We're not going to give him complete wisdom. We're just going to give him a partial understanding of how to deal with it because that will teach him from messing up. That's not the way God is. God doesn't deal with us in partiality. God deals with each of us on the same level. And one thing that we understand for us as believers is, is that he is forgiving. So the very thing he sees about the nature of God is I can go to him, I can ask him for wisdom because I know he's going to give it to me, and I know that when he gives it to me, he's not going to be partial in how he, he deals with me. So notice something. Here's what we're going to see, the warning, though. So here's the, here's the thing that he's telling us. Now, if I'm going to ask for this wisdom, if I'm going to go to for God's help, I need to be understanding of how I need to approach him. I need to have an understanding of what I need to do in light of this issue that I'm facing with him. Notice what I want you to see here. We are to ask God for help in complete trust. Isn't that interesting? The trial is going to test my faith. The trial is going to prove what level of faith I have in God. And if I'm lacking wisdom to know how to deal with the trial, I'm to go to God with the faith that I have and have complete trust in Him to help me. That's, that's the prerequisite here. He's going to help me. He's going to be generous. He's going to be forgiving. He's not going to be partial. But the reality is, is what is the level of faith that I have? And so he's saying here, if we're going to come to Him, we need to come to Him in complete trust. We're going to need to have faith in Him. Why is that? Because, notice what he says there, the person who doubts lives in turmoil. The person who doubts lives in turmoil. Look at verse 6 there. Notice what it says. For he who doubts is like the wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. I love the beach. If I could go to the beach all the time for a vacation, I would do that. I remember as a boy growing up, my parents, when we lived in South Carolina, they had a camper, and we would go down to Edister Island for a week at a time or two weeks at a time, and we would, we would get a campsite there, and we would stay there, go to the beach every day. Dad would go commute back to where his job was, but we would stay there with my mom. And, and I remember we'd go to the beach, and my mom would say, now, you need to stay right in front of me. But you know how it is in the wave? When you go out into the waves, do the waves just come perfectly straight on? No, they always go at an angle. And no matter what you do, the force of the waves are stronger than you, and they always push you down, down the beach. And I remember my mom saying, hey, get up, get up, you know, and be upset with us because we're not staying in front of her. But the thing is, we just got caught up in playing in the ocean. And we just get tossed to and fro by the waves. The waves would control us. And here's what he's saying here. The person who doubts, the person who doesn't trust in God, 
is going to be in turmoil. He's going to be like somebody who's just stuck in a wave, and he's going to be tossed by whatever happens in his life, whatever the direction that's the stronger influence in his life. He's just going to be tossed around by that. That's turmoil. And some of you right now are going through a difficult circumstance. You don't have complete trust in God. You're not sitting there trusting Him to guide you through this. You're looking for other things, and those other things are just carrying you over here and carrying you over there. And it's just wrecking havoc in your life. It is creating turmoil. And that's what James is saying here. But here's what James says about such a person who's living in turmoil, who doesn't have the trust in God. Such a person will not see his prayers for wisdom answered. Such a person cannot expect God to answer his prayers. If you're not going to take... See, notice that the trial's testing your faith. It's testing what you believe about him. It's revealing what you believe about him. And if it, what it reveals about what you believe about God is that you don't believe in him, you can't expect God to answer you. Because you don't really believe Him. You don't really trust in Him. If there's no trust in Him, why should He answer you? And this is what James is pointing out here. He's pointing out that God is not going to answer you in the midst of your difficulty, in the midst of your struggle. He's not going to do it. You shouldn't expect anything. In fact, notice what he says, verse 7. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Don't even deceive yourself into thinking, oh yeah, he's going to answer me. No, you don't, you don't have any trust there. You don't trust him. You don't trust him at all. Why? Here's what I want you to see. Such a person is divided in his mind and unstable in every area of his life. What's reflected there? Is, is that your mind is divided. You're not, your mind isn't totally focused on Christ in your life. Your mind may be divided by other things. Maybe this world, whatever, whatever your goals are, your achievements, your dreams, your lusts, your desires. And you are divided. And, it, so, and it's not going to be just reflected in your instability that's going to be happening in your prayer life concerning the trial that you're facing. James is saying that this instability concerning your faith is going to be reflected in every area of your life. This is, what, this is what trials prove. Trials either prove that you have trust in Christ, who's going to see you through the problem no matter what the difficult circumstance is, or trials are going to prove that you don't. That you don't. He then goes on, and it's very interesting here, because verse 9 through 11, as he wraps up this section, he goes on here, and notice what he says there, because he's going to talk about humility. He says, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as the flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner... Has the sun risen and the burning heat, then it withers the grass, and its flower fails, and its beautiful appearance perishes, so the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Look at what's going on here. A couple of things. First of all, he's going to talk about the attitude that the poor needs to have. 
Here's what I'm saying. As you're going through these difficulties, you're a poor person. Here's what he's saying. The poor, poor believer must glory in his future exaltation. Don't focus on now. Don't focus on the hardships. Be humble in your circumstance. But glory in what's to come. Glory in the reward that there is to come in the future. That's what we need to be focused on. Because trials are going to happen. Difficulties are going to happen. And you may not get ahead in this life, but you need to glory in what is to come. Now he's going to focus on the rich man next here. Look what he says. James points out that the rich need to humble himself because of his mortality. The rich needs to humble himself because of his mortality. You know, Proverbs says that wealth can provide a buffer against difficulties. And it may be that, you know, you can't totally buffer yourself against all difficulties. And so you can't be gloating about your circumstance in life because problems don't happen to you because you can handle it or whatever. You need to recognize and be humble in the fact that one day, reality is, one day you're going to die too. And everything you have here is going to be gone. It's going to be gone. Because why? This is the nature of life. He points to the reality of life and death. All of us, whether poor or rich, are going to live our lives, whatever the circumstance, whatever the trials and the difficulties, and then we're all going to ultimately die. That's reality. And so here's what he's saying to the rich man. A rich man must recognize that all he pursues will fade away. Life will trash your trophies. Everything that you're, that you're pursuing will fade away. It will never be what it was when you first got it. You will never have the same feelings again, the excitement, the exhilaration. It will all fade away. It will all rust. It will all wear out. It will be gone. And that's it. A rich man must recognize. So then he adds, he adds this blessing here that kind of also proves, proves itself as a, as a transition for the next topic, which we'll look at next week. But look at verse 12. He gives us a blessing here. Blessed is the man who endures temptations, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord himself has promised to those who love him. Here's first of all the proclamation. James proclaims a blessing on those who persevere in trials. The word temptation there can also be the same thing as trials. It can also refer to a testing. And, and so he's saying here that he's proclaiming a blessing of those who will endure trials. So, yeah, you're going through difficult circumstances. Is there a point to it? Ultimately, the point is that you're going to be blessed because you endured, because you persevered. That's what he's saying here. And here's the reward. The reward is, is that those who persevere will be rewarded as Christ has promised. You know what? You need to just hang in there. You need to just tough it out. You need to, to don't give up as you face the difficulties that you're facing. Because one day, one day, Jesus is going to reward you for the difficulties that you're going through. So we need to just take a step back, think about it. He's telling us, what's he telling us here? He's telling us, look, don't worry about the difficulties that you go through. You say, oh, that's kind of hard to do, George, because I'm going to. Okay, yeah, you're going to worry about it. But here's the thing. When you reflect on what you're going through, ultimately look beyond what you're going through to what it's going to produce in your life. That's how you can count the joy. 
ultimately look beyond what you're going through to the future glory and the reward that you have in Jesus as you endure this. Ultimately look to the reality that God may not take the problem away, but he will give you wisdom to see you through it. To get you through that difficulty. And so that w- that's what we need to do. Look, next week we're going to look at the whole issue of facing temptation and the struggles that we have there as we look at James chapter 1, verse 12 through 18. So um, let, let's, let's pray.